We're a pioneer church based in Loughborough in the UK. Our mission is to make disciples to establish heaven on earth. Good to be with you. What an amazing group of people. I wonder how heaven sees you. I wonder if your thoughts about yourself align with heaven's thoughts. You know, the Bible says, don't think too highly of yourself, doesn't it? But it does say, think highly of yourself. And um, I, I reckon heaven, heaven's pretty excited about what's going on in this room at the moment. Uh, when, um, when I signed up for this, uh, Luke wrote the briefs and wrote Treasures in Heaven. And I thought, oh, I like that title. I like Treasures in Heaven. I, I've got investment there. And I'm planning on putting more investment there. And then I read the passage, and I thought, Luke stitched me up. Um, <laughs> let's read it again. Have you got your Bibles? I can understand why you might not want to read this passage again. It's, you know, we like to be selective, don't we? We like to meditate on the bits that kind of make us feel a bit warmer. James, as we've already found out, is, uh, is fairly direct, he's blunt, he's to the point. It's a bit like reading Proverbs. And um, so I've got the NIV here. James 4.13. Now listen, you who say, tomorrow or today or tomorrow, we will go to this, we will go to this or that city, spend a year there, Carry on business and make money. Why? You do not even know what is going to happen tomorrow. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogant schemes. All such boasting is evil. If anyone then knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it, it is sin for them. Now listen, you rich people. Weep and wail because the misery, because the misery that is coming on you. Your wealth has rotted and moths have eaten your clothes. Your gold and silver are corroded. Their corrosion will testify against you and eat your flesh like fire. You have hoarded wealth in the last days. Look, the wages you failed to pay the workers who mowed your fields are crying out against you. The cries of the harvester have reached the ears of the Lord Almighty. You have lived your life on earth in luxury and self-indulgence. You have fattened yourselves in the day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the innocent one who is not opposing you. Everyone just breathe out. I had to preach this this morning. This is first time round for most of you. I've been in this passage a while. Um, it, it's, it's a challenge. James wasn't always a believer. He was the half-brother of Jesus. And at some point, probably around Jesus' death and resurrection, he became a believer. He was in the upper room waiting for the Holy Spirit. And then there was no looking back. He was fully, fully invested uh, he'd, there's no doubt 
that he had a revelation about God. Uh, and it wasn't just for him uh, able to write this passage. That revelation is for us as well. And uh, my prayer is this afternoon that God would give us revelation. That's not something spooky. That's just something that God reveals to us. He opens our eyes. The message of the New Testament is, is be alert and be awake. The kingdom's here and it's coming. Uh, revelations kind of happens when we have that moment. It's like, why did I not see this before? How could I miss this? That's what happens when revelation comes. We kind of think, how did I ever miss this? Or I wish I'd known this back then. And as we journey through our Christian life, the more revelation we can get earlier, the more that's going to serve us. So, Father, we pray for revelation. We pray that you would help us understand the times and the seasons that we live in and what you want to do in our lives and with our lives. We pray today specifically that you speak to our hearts and our spirits and give us revelation. In Jesus' name, amen. This passage and all the bit that Hope read as well, we've had a double whammy, we've got that extra bit, but that's, um, that's quite useful because so much of this passage and so much of the book of James, James is having a go at basically the misuse and the misattachment to money. That's what so much of this is about. It's you've got it all wrong. You don't understand the place that money should have in your lives. You've elevated it way, way higher than um, is, it, you, is good for you. And therefore, it's damaging you and it's damaging other people. And there will be a reckoning, which we don't like, but that's what the passage says. He kind of says, <clears throat> he kind of really goes for it, doesn't he, James? And I think it's because he spent so much time with Jesus, he sees life from a different perspective. What he sees, he sees it really clearly. And when it comes out, it feels quite startling. But I think it's because he sees it really, really clearly. He sees life and, and, and the different things in life really clearly. And, and he speaks to the rich people particularly. And, and, and he sees them really as the most deceived and the most deluded. And this is back 2,000 years ago. And he's not just talking to the culture, he's talking to the church. And, and I kind of wonder, if he was speaking in open heaven today, um, how many of us would be able to listen to him? Uh, what would he say to us? We, we are those rich people. Now, we, that our challenge is our attachment to wealth and to riches. And uh, I think that's what he speaks into when he talks about today. Scott McKnight says this, he says, here's the thing about James. Well, first of all, when you listen to that, it's also hard as we've been going through the book of James to pick out anything that doesn't sound like Jesus. It's hard to find many verses at all where you think, actually, no, Jesus wouldn't have said that. It all sounds like Jesus. It sounds like he's preaching and teaching. So somehow being the half-brother of Jesus, it has rubbed off on him and it's come through and he's, and, he's, and, he's, and he's had the revelation. This is what my older brother was going on about all this time. And the revelation has come to him. Scott McKnight puts it like this. Here's the thing about James. James sounds like Jesus in every paragraph without quoting him. 
And you can only do this if you follow Jesus so deeply that every time you talk, you sound like him. In the Jewish world, this is called wisdom. A wise sage is someone you can go to and you can ask a question and when you ask it, you know that the answer is worth doing. That's wisdom. And James had received the teachings of Jesus as wisdom, so much so that it transformed his entire language so that he sounded like Jesus on every page. So we get this echo of the teachings of Jesus. In Luke 12, Jesus told them this parable. The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger barns. And there will be, and there will be a store for my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. Retire. Have a glorious retirement. But God said to him, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Then you will get what you have prepared for yourself. This is, this is how it is with whoever stores up things themselves, but is not rich towards God. Jesus again on the Sermon on the Mount, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Goes on to say, don't worry about your life, what you eat or drink or about your body or what you wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? There's a different perspective here. Surely that's all there is. It feels so real. But God's saying, no, 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 there's more. There's more. He says, but seek first the kingdom or his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. James sounds very much like Jesus. And there's this urgency that comes across with James. He's like, now listen, now look, be awake, be alert, use your senses live your life on earth with a much bigger perspective, an eternal perspective. I know it's difficult for you. It must have been difficult in the first century because that's what people were doing. This is why he was giving this message. But the message of the New Testament is what's seen is temporary, what's unseen is eternal. This is the revelation that Jesus came to give. This is why James is so direct. And he's a man of prayer. He was called Old Camel Knees. Do you remember that? He spent so much time on his knees, his knees resembled the knees of a camel. A bit like Ads's knees. No, no, no. Oh, that's low, isn't it? Oh, mate. I'm sorry. I repent straight away. Sorry, Ads. But you are a man of prayer. When you spend that much time in prayer, you get a different perspective. He's straddling two realities, one greater and one lesser. The greater being heaven, that's, where we, that's the space we occupy in prayer, and then lesser being earth. He's straddling these two realities, that's what happens when we pray. 
So he sees what really matters. And that's what's coming across in James's teaching. And so he's saying, don't, don't boast about tomorrow. Um, I found it fascinating doing a student survey with Luke a few weeks back. I don't know if you've gone out with Luke or Els or anyone else and done the student survey. Has anyone done that? A few people. It's really good. It's really good. More people should do it. It's got some great questions. You end up in some wonderful conversations. We ended up in a conversation, didn't we, with some people in a house on Stora Road. And we talked about spirituality and what spirituality are you into. And they were saying, well, we're into manifesting. And I have to confess, until a few months ago, I'd not really come across that. Am I, am I talking to the choir? Does everyone know what manifesting is? It's really common in your generation, isn't it? It's that declaration that, that if I say it, if I say it, it's more likely to come about. Have I got that about right? If I declare it, 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 will, it will come about. It's, it's called manifesting. I think James kind of addressed it as kind of boasting about tomorrow with your own plans. And, and, it, and it could be a bit like superstitious prayer when we don't really believe God's going to answer us, but we kind of say it in hope, I don't know. But um, it, it was fascinating. This, this, and they described it as self-fulfilling prophecy or declarations. Proverbs 27.1 says, Don't boast about tomorrow because you don't know what the day will bring. We've got a good idea, but we don't know. There's a humility here that James is recommending for the way we live our lives. A theologian I've come across recently said this, We do not know what will come, but we know who will come. And if the last hour belongs to us, we need not fear the next minute. We need not fear the next minute minute sometimes that's not always easy God knows the human condition much better than we do he knows our propensity to fear the next minute to worry ourselves to get anxious and James addresses this time thing um, throughout this passage he talks about today or tomorrow or the morning or you've spent your years and there's these references to time. And time is both a tyrant and a mercy. And I want us to, to focus a little bit on time because this, this really is the outworking of our faith, how we spend our time. Here are some quotes on time. Benjamin Franklin said this, time is money. I don't think that would go too, down too well with James. Time waits for no one. That's kind of old English folklore. How time flies your parents or your grandparents or me or Ness now <laughs> maybe some of you who knows um, better three hours too soon than a minute too late that's William Shakespeare and that's advice on getting to the airport that I keep telling Ness better three hours too soon than a minute too late J.R.R. Tolkien all we have to decide is what to do with the time that is given to us. Jack Cornfield said this, the trouble is you think you have time. Oh, it's getting quite deep, isn't it? You think you have time. 
time spent with cats is never wasted. Someone called Colleen. Not sure how that got in there. Martin Luther said this. This is a bit more serious. There are only two days in my calendar. This day and that day. This day and that day, meaning the day of the Lord. And we kind of get used to time being something that kind of keeps going around because there's rhythms to our lives, the seasons, uh, our years, our days. When we first learn to tell the time, most of us learn with a clock face, don't we? And it's round. Some of us, can we all tell, we can all tell the time, can't we, on the clock face? Just checking, <laughs> just checking round clocks are still a thing. <laughs> what we don't get done by six o'clock today, the clock's just going to go round again. There's a good chance we'll get it done by six o'clock tomorrow. There's a circular, ongoing notion to time. And we tend to glance at the time, just checking we're, you know, we're fitting everything in. We're on schedule. We don't really look at it, apart from once a year. On New Year's Eve, we tend to stare at the time then, don't we? We stare at the clock. When's it going to strike midnight? When is this year going to end and the next year going to come in? And at that point, time is not so much round, it becomes a line. And we become aware of time passing more quickly. Uh, we've got a calendar on our, our kitchen wall. It's got squares on it. And I've adopted Google Calendar quite a long time ago. And it's got squares in it. And it's got the important things that I don't want to forget in my life. And it's in that little box in a square. Who else, who else has got uses a bit of Google Calendar or something like that? A little box calendar where you've got your the important things in your life, not everything in there. And, 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 and we kind of live in that box of time. We call it today. And that's where we live and that's what goes on. And once we enter today, we realize that there's no door back into yesterday. There's, there's just no way going back. There's just a door through into that next little box in our calendar for the things we've got on tomorrow. And time kind of travels that way. The other thing that happens with that is we inherit the sum of our choices. Time has a way of shoveling all our past decisions, our choices, our thoughts into the present. The consequences of, at least. There's a phrase which Ness and I have often used, which is the quality of your daily life is dependent on the quality of your daily decisions particularly the small ones, particularly the ones we think maybe are less significant. But time has a way of shoveling them up. And so my life today is a reflection of the decisions that I've made, not just of the things that have happened to me, because I've still had a choice on how I respond to what's happened to me. And it's telling in my values and in my relationships and how I spend my money and how I spend my time and the good news with that is we can make better choices today than maybe we've made in the past. So if we've got regrets in the past, we can go, you know what? I can make some better choices today so that what I inherit down the line is going to be better.
We do not know what will come, but we know who will come. And if the last hour belongs to us, we do not need to fear the next minute. Although one day, as we work through our calendar and we keep shutting the door behind us and opening the next door and shutting it, we hit a box where there's no door. There's a final day in our calendar. And that might be kind of an unusual thing to talk about to a group of 20-somethings, but there is a day. And I don't know how many calendar days I've got left until that day, but there is a day. And two things will happen on that day for all of us. One of two things. Either that will be it. We'll be snuffed out, and there'll be no more of us, and our memory will be gone. Or the walls of that box will fall away. And it will open up into a new day, an eternal day, a beginning. And that's the Christian hope. That's the Christian gospel. Earth is preparation for heaven. Earth is heaven's womb. It's heaven's workshop. You can waste time on earth, but you can't waste time in heaven because there won't be time to waste. But the question that James asks or alludes to is, you've spent your years on earth. And the question behind that is, how have you spent them? What have you done with your time? You see, there's things that you can only do this side of eternity. There's some things that we can only do today that we can't do in heaven. It's worth thinking about, what are those things? There's some things we can only do in this calendar square. We can forgive people. There won't be any need for forgiveness in heaven. We can repent if we're thinking we're on the wrong track or I've got the wrong mindset about things. There won't be any need for repentance in heaven. We can worship God in our suffering and our pain because there won't be any suffering and pain in heaven. We'll still be worshipping God. We can work for justice. There'll be no injustice in heaven. We can work for reconciliation. There'll be no broken relationships in heaven. We can face down our pain. There'll be no pain in heaven. We can tell people about Jesus. Everyone will know him in heaven. Maybe this is why the writer of the Hebrews says this. Today, this calendar day, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. Because today is the day to respond to him. Paul echoes it in in his letter to the Corinthians. He says this, as God's co-workers, we urge you not to receive God's grace in vain. For he says, in the time of my favor, I heard you. And in the day of salvation, I helped you. I tell you, now is the time of God's favor. Now is the day of salvation. James is advocating a dependence on God. If the Lord wants, what is his will for us? Not that we just make our own declarations about what we want, uh, choose to use money how we want, but we reference him. God, what is it that you have for us? What is your way? And it's a dependence that builds towards treasure in heaven. That's how he wants us to live. 
not with a, a kind of second guessing, is this really worth it? But a sense of revelation, yes, this is what I'm designed for. This actually brings me joy and hope and satisfaction and peace. How do we build towards treasures in heaven? Well, we work towards peace because there's going to be fullness of peace in heaven. We welcome and receive joy in our lives because there's joy unspeakable in heaven. We're generous with our lives, pouring ourselves out in order that we do store up treasures in heaven. And we share our faith and tell people about Jesus because the only things, that we, the only things we can actually take with us to heaven are people. And we make ourselves known over this last year, my friendships have definitely gone deeper. And it's been thrilling. Being known is, one of, is, is, is how we're wired. We're wired for friendships. We're wired for community. Communion is heaven's greatest gift. And we start investing in it today. We seek first the kingdom today. Because you won't be disappointed at its fullness in heaven. And we spend time with God. We waste some of our time on God because there's a continuity to our walk with God in heaven. C.S. Lewis says this. He says, every time you make a choice, you're turning the central part of you, the part of you that chooses into something a little different than it was before. And taking your life as a whole, with all your innumerable choices, all your life, all your life long, I misquoted that, all your life you're slowly turning the central thing into a heavenly creature or a hellish creature either into a creature that is in harmony with God and with other creatures and with itself, or else into one that is in a state of war and hatred with God and with its fellow creatures and with itself. To be the one kind of creature is heaven. That is joy and peace and knowledge and power. To be the other means madness, horror, idiocy, rage, impotence, and eternal loneliness. Each of us at each moment is progressing to the one state or the other. A small portion of our existence is lived out on this earth. That's James's perspective. That's why he's so blunt with this stuff. It's just a small portion. The rest is lived out on a renewed earth and heaven. Tilika, who I quoted before, says this. He says, and yet another question will not leave me alone. I want to make something out of my life. It should be successful. I realize my responsibility. But who is it anyway who asks me so that I must respond? Is it merely a dialogue with my conscience? Or will there one day come a moment of truth where I must stand up? and give an accounting. 
Is there an eternity in which my life does not simply go out, but in which I am awaited? I am awaited. Christ suffers with us and he awaits us. And he commissions us to take part in his kingdom life now. James is writing as one who has learnt to walk with God. And that's our invitation. That our time is finite. It's precious. It has an impact on who we're becoming today. It lays out the days ahead. But it also has an impact on eternity. We do not know what will come, but we know who will come. And if the last hour belongs to us, we do not need to fear the next minute. I'm just going to pause for a moment because I realize these aren't things that we think about that often. We tend to kind of if we have time, we tend to listen to something or do something or distract ourselves. And yet I wonder what, what else God might want to say to us about our time and how we're using our time and what else he has for us in the time we have maybe today or this week or this year. What else is there, God, that you want to make me aware of? that I don't just drift through life, blown through life, distracted through life, or entertained through life, but I'm mindful of who is the one walking alongside me, who wants to walk with me, and who awaits me. And from my own experience, aged 48, that journey with God, that inner journey, that inner awareness is the most adventurous thing you can do with your life, from which all the other things then flow. And there's some tremendous callings on people's lives in this room to make a real difference in this world. But it will flow and it will bring more joy if we pay attention to that inner space, that inner room with God.